0: Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. How many of you remember a couple of weeks ago when we had the junior high over at our house for the whole weekend? Well, this was the weekend for the high school students. Did you guys get any sleep last night? No. Okay. Neither did I. <laughs> yes. Good to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 8. Psalm 8, it's a wonderful psalm. We're working through this teaching series, The God You Long For. Today, we talk about how He is Creator. We are doing theology. This is a study of theology. Theology is a study of God because all of our problems stem from not knowing who God is or at the moment forgetting who He is. I want to start off by kind of challenging you. You're going to have to think a little bit. Everybody get their uh, coffee this morning. Those of you that drink coffee, any, who doesn't drink coffee here? Oh my goodness, that is so unchristian. Okay. I guess it's probably, I don't know. You know, they go back and forth with coffee's good for you, it's not good for you, it's good for you. I'm kind of staying with it's good for you. And I've heard some of you say, Praise God. Yeah. Amen. Yes. So you're going to probably need a little bit of a stimulant of some kind this morning to get your brain to think here at the front end of this because I'm going to challenge you on some thoughts here. If we are here, if we are here, not here at Sandra Day O'Connor, but here on this planet Earth, if we exist because of uh, this is some big cosmic accident, as some believe, random chance and unlimited time, if that's true, then you have, uh, you have no purpose. Life has no purpose, and you have no value. Regardless of what kind of purpose and value you might add to your life, in the long run, if you work that out to its furthest implication, it's still going to fail you when you become worm food. Okay? That's, that's kind of a harsh statement, and uh, it's true. If we're here by accident, then... Life has no meaning and there is no purpose. And in fact, that's what uh, most of the philosophers and scientists and experts would say. Bertrand Russell, philosopher, British atheist, he died in 1970. This is a bit of a paraphrase of what he said. Everything you do now, in the end, doesn't matter. Really, whether you live a good life or you're a serial killer, it doesn't really matter in the long run. All we can build our life on is a foundation of, an, and I quote, unyielding despair is what he said. A guy by the name of Steven Pinker, a psychologist that teaches at Harvard not too long ago wrote an essay titled, The Stupidity of Dignity. John Gray, philosopher of London School of Economics, wrote a book called Straw Dogs, Here's what they're all saying, is just what I said. I know you feel that human beings have dignity, and I know you feel that there is such a thing as human rights. The fact is that if you believe science, then there is no such thing as dignity or human rights. Life has no meaning. That's in essence what they're saying. And what they're saying is that if we came from nothing and we're really, you know, going to nothing, then everything in between is a big nothing. That's what they're saying. and so what they, these guys do is they challenge you. He says, at least have enough intellectual integrity that you might make up a purpose, but ultimately that purpose really means nothing in the end. And most people don't think, think out the implications. They don't follow the path all the way out to the furthest uh, implications of that. Now, I happen to believe, and this is what Psalm 8 says, is that we're here by divine design. And we were here because of a creator who is, he's madly in love with us, and we, uh, we bear his image, and therefore we have purpose, and we have inestimable value because of that. And I, I believe that, and I believe that that's the basis. Because if you were to pick up some self-help book, oftentimes they'll say, you have value, you have meaning. And you would say, well, why do I have meaning and value? They say, because you do. They, they, don't, they don't give you a basis. There's no basis. But I can tell you that our basis is based on the authority of God's word he's revealed himself to us through his son our conscience you know and 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 we're gonna look at creation too today but on the basis of that I like what Tim Keller says he says you can't say anything is crooked unless there is a straight edge somewhere so when people say well that's that's unjust well where's your straight edge what is your straight edge And so Psalm 8 is a phenomenal psalm. It kind of really takes us back to the fact that that God is creator. The God we long for is our creator. And in fact, what we're going to learn from this psalm is uh, we're going to see something, feel something, and do something as a a response. Because if you really believe that God is your creator, there are certain things that you're going to believe you're going to see you're going to feel, and then you're going to do in response. And by the way, those are the three, uh, I wouldn't call them steps, but the, the three parts of faith. Because oftentimes people say, well, yeah, I believe in God. And yet, if you were to look at their life, they would actually be maybe a practical atheist because there's a disconnect between what they say, believe, they, say they believe and then how they actually live out their life. Because faith is truth that enters the head ignites the heart and outworks through the hands. And so it's going to make a difference in your, in what you're thinking, feeling, and then how you do life, how you respond to life. And so that's what this psalm is going to do as we, we as we investigate it. Or another way we could say it is that uh, we're really talking about God here, is to see Him, to see Him is to savor Him, and to savor Him is to show Him. And uh, so we're going to read it in a minute, but would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment and let's pray. I'm excited about this study. It's a, it's a wonderful chapter in the book of Psalms, and uh, I think it'll really speak to your heart this morning. In fact, I, if you struggle with a low self-image, this, this is the psalm for that. This is the cure for that this morning. Let's pray. God, your word says in Psalm 86.5, it invites us to you. It says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. So this morning, we call upon you, Father God, in the name of your Son, through the work and the power of your Holy Spirit. We want to enjoy your goodness, receive your forgiveness, bask in your steadfast love as we study your word Help us to see you more clearly through the study of your word so that we can savor you more soul-satisfyingly and that then we can leave here, we can go out of this place and show you through the way we live our lives more contagiously and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at this. I'm going to read completely through the text. It's a small chapter This would be one worth memorizing. It's truly a wonderful psalm. And this is what David has penned. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. So three things we're looking at. If I believe the God I long for, is creator, what will I see? What will I feel? And then what will I do? Those three aspects, three aspects of, of faith, as I stated. So first of all, what will I see? I will see the majesty, that's your fill in the blank, the majesty of God. Did you notice that? He begins the psalm and ends the psalm with, O Lord, our Lord. Oh Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's Yahweh, God's personal name. So Yahweh, God's personal name, self-existing one, uh, the name that was given to Moses there in the third chapter of Exodus when he encountered God uh, there in the burning bush, God's personal name, self-existing one. Basically, he's always existed. He's self existing. He's not dependent upon anything to exist. That's a, that's a mind blower, just thinking about God. And the fact that he can, where there's death, he can bring life. He can create something out of nothing. He says, Oh Lord, our Lord, Adonai. The, the word for Lord there is that master, teacher. And so he goes, O oh, Lord, our Lord. It's almost as if he's saying, wow, God, I, I submit my life to you. O oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The word majesty here, it means very great, mighty, powerful, magnificent, are just a few of the words that describe that. Uh, I, I love, and you've probably heard me quote this many times before. I put it as a cross-reference there, 2 Peter 1, 6. Peter says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I mean, he's just saying when we were, it was breathtaking to see God in the flesh, this revelation of God's majesty through Jesus Christ. So we will see the majesty of God, but we'll also see the glory of God. Did you notice he also said there in verse 1, He says, you set your glory above the heavens. So it tells us in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God, but here he's saying that his glory is actually above the heavens. So even beyond. What we see, you know, in a beautiful landscape or something in creation, it can be breathtaking, and yet the Bible is saying that God is beyond that. He's even above, above the heavens, above that you have set your glory above the heavens. Then verse 3, he says, the work of your fingers. Did you notice that? The work of your fingers. It, not his arm or his hands, but his fingers. Why would it say that? Because his fingers, it represents really what you would use to put together a model. Put together something very small and maybe very intricate. With your fingers. The work of your fingers. And so the word glory, it kind of overlaps with majesty. It just it means majesty, splendor, beauty. And so what will I see? I will see the majesty of God, the glory of God, and I will have a God-entranced vision of life. And I'm, I'm convinced that a God-entranced vision of life, in other words, you filter everything through this, this perspective of just how big God is is what will bring the most healing to our hearts in our lives. In fact, I gave you a couple of references there. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it actually says, it's the beholding of his beauty in the glory of God that we become transformed. This is what transforms us. This is what tra- uh, changes our lives. And by the way, I put another cross-reference, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, we have an adversary that's doing everything he can to keep us from seeing the beauty and the glory of Christ. To blind us, in fact, it says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, let, let me help you to put this in perspective here a little bit and what he 's talking about, so that we can maybe this morning just get a glimpse of this god entranced vision that God wants us to have, and which, which will bring unbelievable uh, healthiness and wholeness to our life the more we behold him and, and get to know. Uh, the god of the galaxies. If our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, was the size, and just imagine this, if it was the size of North America, then our uh, solar system would be the size of this cup. So let me go back. So if the Milky Way galaxy was the size of North America, that's where we live, our solar system would be the size of this cup, and then Earth would just be a speck, in that cup. And we know that our galaxy is one of hundreds of millions of galaxies. And so this text is telling us that he put this all together with his hands. And if that's the size of of, of the universe, we can't even fathom that. We can't even understand that completely. It says that God is above that. He's bigger than that oh my goodness, how big is God? That's amazing. That's why when you begin to get that God-entranced vision, it begins to change your life and your perspective. God made all of that with his fingers. And if that is tiny compared to God... What is God like? And it's no wonder David starts and ends the psalm with praise to the majesty of God. You see, David didn't just see the creation of God, but he was seized by the God of creation. And I believe that the best cure for a feeble faith and a weak worship is a God-entranced vision of life built on being seized by the majesty and the glory of God, revealed through creation... Commandments, conscience, ultimately through Jesus Christ when he showed up here. As Peter said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. How many have ever uh, seen a postcard of the Grand Canyon? Postcard? Maybe a picture? Okay. How many have ever gone to the Grand Canyon? Show of hands. Oh, wow. Quite a few people just stood on the edge. How many have ever uh, actually hiked down into the Grand Canyon? Ooh, wow, quite a number. So would you agree with me, those of us that hike down and those of us that have uh, have stood on the edge, it's quite a major difference between seeing a postcard, a postcard of the Grand Canyon. I mean, that's one thing, but it's totally another thing when you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon.
1: Ooh, wow.
0: But it's altogether even... A greater thing when you hike down and you experience the majesty and the glory of the canyon. Too often we have a postcard concept of God and that won't get you far. It is so important that we have this kind of this experience of God on a, on a daily basis through how He reveals Himself to us. And that's my prayer for myself and for everybody in this church regularly, that we would be captivated by His his majesty and glory. And I call it the power of proximity. It's really the closer you get to God, the less trials overwhelm you and temptations allure you. See, if you're being overwhelmed right now by trials and problems... Uh, it's not that you need less problems. You need more of God and you need to see his beauty. When you're being allured by temptations, it's not that you need less temptations. You need more of God and to see how attractive he is. See, oftentimes we go to God trying to pray these things off of us, but what we need is, God, give me a bigger vision of you. Let me see that you are more than enough and that, God, I follow you not because you make life better i follow you because you're better than life you're better than anything that i face and that's what david is teaching us that's what we're going to see that's what we're going to see and then what will we feel this is the next if indeed i'm beginning to see this if i've got this god entranced vision of life this is what i'm going to feel this is how it's going to begin to be experienced in my life my life has inestimable value not because i'm great but because God is great. Intrinsically, there's nothing in us other than what God has given to us and that he's created us. You know, someone paints a picture, that picture doesn't boast how great, you know, look at me, look what I did. Well, you didn't do that. The artist did that. And so we're just a reflection of the artist's work. And so intrinsically, it's not, we're not great in and of ourselves, but because of the artist, who is it that made us and who we, we reveal? And so our greatness comes comes from God. And you guys know this, there's nothing worse than than to go away and nobody missed you. You just kind of leave and you come back and nobody even knew you were gone because we need to be noticed. We want to be valued. And if we can't get good attention, we'll get bad attention. That's oftentimes why kids act out. That's why adults act out. Sometimes adults are acting out and doing the things they're doing is because they're trying to medicate that sense of like nobody knows and nobody cares about me. Self-image is not an issue of psychology, but of of theology. And look at verses 3 through 5 of our text. This is what David is saying. When I consider the heavens the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have set in place. And take a look at this. This is what he says. What is man? (laughs) I mean, when you look at the majesty and the glory of creation, I mean, he's saying, I'm, you know, as I said, if, if earth is just a little speck in here, then I'm a microscopic Dirt clod there somewhere. And, and so he's saying, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? What is man that you would even think thoughts about him? And, and we studied last week, how many thoughts does God think about us? Psalm 139, they outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. He can't take his eyes off of you and keep his mind off of you I, I don't know how he does it he's God and he treats all of us as if there's only one of us so, so he's saying he's not only mindful of you but the word he uses for care is that he just d- doesn't think nice thoughts about you but he moves in and, and actually the King James uh, act, you know, accurately defines the word there anybody have a King James here? you're studying from a King James? that's really messed up um uh, you're a young guy too I wouldn't, I wouldn't really think you must have been raised in the church yeah okay because the only people raised in the church would still have a King James yeah I studied from the King James it's so awkward and cumbersome you know because these and those and we don't talk like that anymore but that's cool right on upgrade okay uh, I'm kidding <laughs> I'm just joking with you that's cool that's cool because I, a lot of the verses I memorized were from the King James and then I converted over to the NIV and now I'm working on the ESV All great translations, but uh, in the King James, it said that he visiteth, visiteth us. He visits us. Is that true? Yeah. You got the only accurate Bible, Bible in the whole group right here. And actually, that's actually more accurate to what the Hebrew is saying, that he cares that he visits us. What does that mean? Now, think about this. You have a God... Who thinks thoughts about you? Just if you just sat and thought about that. If you thought every day, you started your devotion, saying, "Wait a minute, I'm thinking about God." But He started thinking about me a long time before this. And not only that, does He is mindful of me, but then He visits me. He wants to interact with me. He He's made Himself available so that I can have relationship with the Creator of the universe. Oh my goodness! And you can see why this sent him right to the ceiling. I mean, he was overwhelmed by that. It says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Last weekend was we talked about in Psalm 139, which is really one of my favorite. This is my favorite. Every one of these are my favorite. So that's just how it is. But Psalm 139, we learn that God knows everything about me. He is always there for me and is powerfully at work in me. I am God's masterpiece is what we we learn. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. You guys remember I, I said... Uh, and in fact, let me just turn there real quick. I think I've, uh, let me see this. Psalm 139, when it's said in verse 16, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And I said that's embryo, fetus. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And I said that God's hand is upon our life from conception and he thought about us even before conception and knows everything about it and planned this all out before the foundations of the earth. But he knows us as at conception and that's why we support uh, Crisis Pregnancy Center. That's, that is our great ministry it's be, because of verses like this. And, and also we are against active euthanasia You know, that, because God is the one that's to, to call the shots ultimately and when we are to leave this place. So that's important. That's an important verse because God is so involved in our lives. And so it, it, it gives us this, this value, unbelievable value. So how do you get that down into your heart? Because this, is a, this will change your self-image. And too often we live in a society today that we build our self-image on what? On performance, whether we get the job, what we do, how we perform, what people say about us. And and this is the trump card. That cancels all of that out, regardless of what goes down in your life. It's saying that the one, the mind and the heart that matters most in the universe can't get his mind off of you. It is unbelievably affectionate towards you. That is amazing. That would change everything about your life if you could take it from head down to the heart and allow God to begin to transform you. You could face any snub from any group of friends, rejection at work, loss of job, didn't get accepted into the college, you know, whatever. None of that is is so, so small, minuscule, little, compared to, oh my goodness, he can't take his... His mind is dominated with me and he is affectionate for me and he visits me. I can have relationship with him and interact with him regularly. What more do you need? And that's why David is just like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. My existence has purpose. It has meaning. And uh, so that life has inestimable value Here's the next one, is that my, my life has incomparable purpose. So my life has inestimable value, and my life has incomparable purpose. Now, whether you're a Christian or not, you have, you have purpose. You're gonna. The fact is, is that as a person, as a human being, you have dignity, value, and honor because you were created in the image of God. Whether you ever accept God or even atheists display the glory of God. Did you know that? They display the glory of God just passively. They don't believe in God, but just the fact that they exist. Everyone, every human being is an image bearer of God. And that's what he's, he's saying. And that's part of the purposes. And, and really, verses 6 through 8 is a recapitulation of Genesis 1 and 2. Did you hear, remember what we read? You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. Talking about man, when, when he created man. Speaking of us being created in the image of God. He gave us dominion. So our rulership was related to our relationship with God because we diss God. We've kind of messed up, certainly, as, as it relates to our dominion on this planet Earth. That's why we're in the mess that we're in. But God did that because he, he loves us and he created us. Of all creation, we are his masterpiece. And we are image bearers of God. And what does that mean? What does it mean to be an image-bearer of God? Turn to the person next to you and see if they know what that means. Image-bearer of God. What does that mean? Real quick. Anybody know? What does it mean to be an image-bearer of God? Let me go through a little short list that I've got here. Is that we have characteristics that only God has. Did anybody say that? Anybody say something like that? Okay, there's two of us in here that said something like that. So you're pretty close. And you might have said other things that were more profound than that. But that's pretty profound that we have characteristics that only God has. Here's some of the characteristics that only God has. Rational. We have a rational aspect to how God wired us up. And that's a hunger to learn. We have a personal aspect, and that's a, a hunger to love and be loved. There's an eternal aspect, and that's a hunger to last. We hate the idea of death. Somebody got that right there, didn't you? Did you get that? Is that what you guys are talking about? So, and then there's the creative aspect, which is a hunger for beauty. Created in the image of God. Now, my dog Brownie never showed any of these characteristics. You just didn't. And uh, so whether you are a pilot, a plumber, a paramedic, a baker, banker, homemaker, you were created by God for God to give glory to God. And you do that. You, can do it. you do it passively, whether you actually follow God, but you do that actively. You do that actively when God is most glorified in you, when you are most satisfied in Him. Does that make sense? So so whether you ever do that or not, you're already an image bearer of God. And people can see the glory of God just in how God wired you up and, and the different aspects that we talked about here. But how you can take that next step is that when you live your life for His glory, regardless of what goes down in your life, that when I display His worth and value, in fact, I display His worth and value, that He is wonderful, He is great in my life, When I treasure him in all things, above all things, whether they be triumph or tragedy. So God has made me a pastor. He's wired me up to do this. And so when I make much of him in the platform that God has given me, and I talk about the satisfaction I have in him, I bring glory to him in this. I have the privilege of being a husband, and so when I... I'm able to stir up appetite within my wife for God and to help and, and to assist her as God is working in her life to, to, to conform her more and more to the image of God. Be, I'm a part of this process of what God wanting to bring glory to him. So, so whatever you do in your life, you can bring glory to God in and above. Above meaning no matter what goes down in your life. Triumph or tragedy. That you can still bring glory to God in the midst of that. And and even more so do we bring glory to God when we treasure him above, even in the midst of tragedy. When we go through loss, that we demonstrate in our life that he is to be treasured more than anything. That if I have him, I have all that I need. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. And I will feel deep satisfaction in God. That's the next fill in the blank and I will feel deep satisfaction in God. There was something I was gonna share. I had my wife bring this uh, because I wanted to talk about, and this kind of goes back and, and it, it builds, and then we'll knock the rest of this out really quick. But I wanted to kind of go back to this idea that this is what we should think, this is what we should feel. What we should feel is this unbelievable value in purpose and the deep satisfaction we have in God. My wife and I had have the privilege of currently Uh, teaching a marriage class and uh, this last Friday in the marriage class there was a statement that I wanted to read that I just thought it was really a wonderful statement. Both my wife and I just really loved this statement. And this has to do with marriage but this really closely relates also to uh, God and how he sees us and God's work in our life. But this is what the statement said. This is from Tim Keller's book, uh, The Meaning of Marriage. Within the Christian vision for marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of the person God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you, and it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth. But now, look at you that 's a wonderful statement that's the, the purpose of marriage is friendship. My wife and i she 's my best friend, and the goal of that uh, friendship is sanctification that I would do all I could to help her love Jesus more than she loves me that 's awesome <laughs> that 's cool. Because then, when she loves Jesus more than she loves me, man, she's going to love me a bunch. And so, this whole idea, and I was talking to Scott about it, he goes, Oh, that was a wonderful statement we were talking about. He says, And then he he was talking about yesterday how he got this sense that that God was saying that to him. That, do you see the value I place on you? Do you see what I want to do in your life? Oh, my goodness, you get a glimpse of that, you'll never be the same. And so in the marriage relationship, and not just in the marriage relationship, but in community, in a church community, that's what we're to do with one another. Oh, my goodness, I see the potential that God, oh, God has done a wonderful job. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I want to assist you in helping you to become all that God wants you to be in him. See, that's what this this psalm is about. Boy, talk about change your your self-image. It just totally rearranges that. And so there's where your deep satisfaction in God. Anybody here play poker? Cool. It's a, it's a fun game. I, I haven't played it in a long time, and I'm not really good at it, but my wife is really good at, uh, at gambling. But uh, <laughs> she's not good at gambling, but she's good at playing cards. See, she was raised in a home where it was okay to play cards. I was raised in a home where that was, that's against our religion. We don't play cards. Anybody like that? Anybody raised in a home where you didn't play cards? Because that's the devil's tool. And so uh, we'd, snuck, we'd sneak away and play cards. And uh, actually, we, we didn't do that. I, so I'm, I'm not very good at playing cards, but I know a little bit, but, but let me ask you this. When you have a winning hand, so you're supposed to have a silver face when you do that, but I'm like, <laughs> then immediately everybody goes, ah, forget it. I'm, I'm out. I'm folding. Everybody folds. You're not supposed to do that, Okay. But, uh, but when you have a winning hand, you not only put all your chips in, but you're not uptight. You just enjoy the game. And so it is with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness, you got the winning hand. You can't lose. That's the gospel. That's what this psalm is telling us. When I consider the heavens the work of your fingers, the stars and the moon, how you have set them in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, you care for him, you visit him. We have him. Oh my goodness. It's amazing. So what will we do? What will our our response be? If indeed that's true. So let me take you back. Let me give you another little picture of, of this. If the distance between the earth and the sun, 93 million miles, was the thickness of a piece of paper, so just imagine that, was the thickness of a piece of paper, then the distance between the earth and the nearest star beyond the sun would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. And the distance between the earth and the end of just our galaxy, keep in mind there's hundreds of billions of galaxies, but just our galaxy would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. And our galaxy is just a speck among the hundreds of millions of galaxies. If God created all of that with his fingers and if he upholds it with with just a word of his power, as it says in Hebrews 1, 3, and he thinks the world of you, you don't invite him to be your assistant, okay? That's ludicrous. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna ask God to help me out to be more successful so that I can be a more successful person. You don't do that. You bow down before him and you give him your life. I mean, you 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 hit the deck and you surrender it all, and that's this is what it looks like. I will live my life in humility to God. He uses the word, "O oh Lord." Our Lord, it means master, twice there, verses 1 and 9. Humility is not thinking uh, less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And it's, it's, a, it's a blessed self-forgetfulness. is because you are so captivated by glory and beauty of God. You don't need to think about yourself. See, that's the root of our issues is, is preoccupation with self, self-absorption. But you get a glimpse of the glory. I like what, uh, I think it was John Piper that said, nobody goes to the Grand Canyon to build their self-esteem. It just seems, it seems ludicrous, doesn't it? No, you go to, you go to the Grand Canyon to, to gaze upon the, uh, the greatness of God's creation, you, to be captivated, to be taken out of yourself in beauty. When you go on vacation, where do you go? You go to beautiful places. Why? To be taken out of yourself. You're not focused on yourself. You're just, you caught up in in the surroundings so when you're caught up in God that's what that humility is and there's no more there's no more boasting and no more self-pity because you're just preoccupied with God you find your deepest satisfaction in him and there's a couple things I put them on your notes unconditional obedience and complete reliance so let me ask you a couple questions If you have unconditional obedience, am I willing to obey God in every area of my life no matter how I feel about it? So if if you really have that unconditional obedience, you're going to be willing to follow God in every area of your life regardless of how you feel about it because he's the ruler. He's the God of the universe. And then complete reliance. Is there something in any area of my life that I am relying on for hope and meaning in my life more than God? So there'll be this complete reliance. When I lose my job, I don't freak out. Yeah, I'm a little anxious, so I put out resumes and I I hit the streets. But ultimately, I know He's going to be my provider. He's going to take care of me. Here's the next one. So I live my life in humility to God, but I live my life in honor of God. Did you notice in verse 2, he says... uh, did you, did you find this peculiar? Verse two: Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy of the avenger. He's not talking there, and, and the Bible talks a lot about this. He's not talking about childishness, but he's talking about childlikeness. And in fact, it tells us in the Scripture that no one can come to to God. It's eighteen one through four, unless we are childlike and when that involves a couple things total submission and confident expectation so total submission is a little bit harder here's my question am I willing to thank God for whatever happens in every area of my life whether I understand it or not that's total submission we have a brother that just was diagnosed with cancer this last week and we prayed for him in our marriage group he's sitting right out here young guy I know that stresses his wife out and we're going to pray like crazy that God will heal him. And we believe in a God that brings healing. And yet, at the same time, we could fall prey to saying, Hey, wait a minute, what is going on here? God, this isn't right. You know, I've tried to serve you, and wait, 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 total submission. Am I willing to thank God for whatever happens in every area of my life, whether I understand it or not? I don't fully understand, but I'll tell you what God's in control. He loves you guys unbelievably. I know that. I've seen His work in your lives, I've seen the two of you progress amazingly. And grow and mature and put on display the glory of Jesus through your satisfaction in him. Both of you. And and with your beautiful children. It's awesome. So God's in control. You can trust him. Not sure, you know, what he's up to. But I know it's, 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 it's very, very, very good. It's for your good and his glory. And so, it's just so easy. It's hard. But that's that... You know, that honor. This is is how you're going to respond if you really believe that God is great and he thinks about us and he cares for us. Total submission. Here's the next one. Confident expectation. This would also apply to you also. Are there problems or limitations in my life I think are too big for God to remove? No way. He can take care of cancer. He can take care of anything. What's your problem? What's, What's going on in your life? God's way bigger than that. And he cares. And he cares about you. He cares about you. Do you know that? Infinite wisdom, perfect love, unlimited power is working in your behalf. And, uh, and so here's the last, next, last fill in the blank. Then I'll make a statement and then we're going to sing a song. I will live in community forever indebted to God. Why did I say community? Is everything about community? Not necessarily, but most. Most of the things in the Bible. Because did you notice? He says, "O oh Lord, our Lord. He says that twice. Our Lord. He's not saying my Lord. He's saying our Lord. So it's a community. It's a community kind of a thing. I will live in community forever indebted. Do you know the difference between a religious person and a person that understands the gospel? A religious person... Uh, has an attitude of entitlement and it feels like God's indebted to them. But a person that understands the gospel has an attitude of gratitude and feels that, man, I am forever indebted to God. I heard, uh, I, heard a, I actually saw this on a tweet a couple days ago. And, and it, the guy said, we deserve hell. Everything else is a gift. That's a lot of gifts. I like that so there's this there's this gratitude that we have how do i know this is true what's interesting about this psalm is that david not only tells us of god's creation but also hints at his redemption he hints at it in verses 2 and then verse 4 verse 2 is the only verse that jesus quoted in the new testament when he rode into jerusalem as people were giving him worship but verse 4 When I said that in the King James it says that he visits us, I believe that David was speaking prophetically about Jesus coming to this earth. In fact, what David was thinking, uh, who are we to fill? Who are we that you fill our mind, that we fill his mind, and that you visit us? David was not only a shepherd and a king, but also a prophet. And so in the New Testament, we know that Zechariah prophesied in Luke 1 68. And he said that he visiteth his people and he redeems them. And I believe, so here's the final statement. Because God came down and did visit us through his son, Jesus Christ, and lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died, through his weakness we become strong when in weakness we put our faith in him. Let's pray. God, thank you. What a wonderful psalm. What a wonderful reminder that you are mindful of us and you care for us. you visited us. You come so that we can have relationship with you. So God, may we live in the reality of that this week and put on display your glory as we find our deepest satisfaction in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? Let's sing this song. This song goes along. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. And it goes along with just what we studied. And so let's lift the roof here this morning in celebrating the reality that God is the God we long for, is our creator.